Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome back to Not By Sight. I'm not big on New Year's resolutions, but I definitely have some goals I'd like to reach this year. My word for 2022 is fearless. I want to be a woman full of greater faith, not fear. I want to be someone who is not intimidated by life circumstances, instead keeping my eyes laser focused on God's promises for my life. This year, I want to walk knowing that God is for me, not against me, and that he is always in control no matter what. Psalm 46.5 says, God is within her. She will not fail. This verse came to mind as I was laying in bed last night, thinking about the young woman you're going to meet in this episode. Some would say a chance encounter led to me meeting 26-year-old Aya Nichols, but she and I both agree it was definitely a God encounter. On that day, we had both asked for a sign from God and he gave it. Aya's story is not an easy one to hear. It's full of trauma and a lot of pain. But even in the midst of great suffering, Aya never questioned God's existence. She actually discovered his true name, Abba Father. And now he is helping Aya tell her story in the hopes that others will know they are never alone and that Jesus can redeem their pain. Aya, thank you so much for being on this episode of Not By Sight. I am just so glad that you are here today and that you're <laughs> going to share your story with me and with those that are listening. So welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. I honestly, I think it's God. Like, that's why I'm really excited to be here. Like, he made o orchestrated this out of thin air. Uh, seriously. Literally. So seriously. I'm like, well, there has to be a point to it than that. We need to let people know how we met. Oh, yeah. Because you and I share a love for thrifting. It's almost, no, it's not just love. It's like, a it's like <laughs> you're addicted. Because these are, these are not just, like, goodwills and finds. You find like jewels. You find gems. I yes. find like Louis Vuittons, like coaches, like, and all I'm paying for it is maybe five cents or sometimes, because if it's a big purse, a dollar. <laughs> well, the person who originally paid for it probably bought it for 2000 I know. I don't know how to say $2,500. Uh, it's something crazy like that. So honestly, I'm like, I got the better deal. Like, I don't know what to well, say. And people are like, wait a second, you found that at Goodwill? I don't think so. So we met at the Goodwill outlet. What's really cool about that day is I had just taken a long walk around a lake uh, near a friend's house and I was having some time with the Lord. I was about to turn 45 and I was really just like, God, do you have more for me? What are your plans for me? Sometimes I think as we age, we start thinking like, am I still going to be as useful in the kingdom as... I was in my 20s or 30s and I was listening to, some, to like some different podcasts and people and, you know, um, women of God talking about how their life is even bigger in ministry in the second part of their life versus the first part of their life. And God was reminding me like, you, you, there is more for you. And I was like, yes, I am going to claim that and walk in it. And my purpose is still going to be carried out, whatever that is. And I go to Goodwill <laughs> and I see this beautiful girl standing by one of these Goodwill bins, going through some stuff. But what really drew me in, what she had this beautiful tattoo of birds flying up her arm. And so 
most of you know, I never meet a stranger. I talk to strangers all the time. I have no problem doing that. So I walked up to Aya, didn't know her name yet, and just was like, your tattoo is amazing. What is the meaning behind it? Now, tell me what, what you were thinking there. When Honestly, I'm- before you came, th- another person complimented me on my tattoo. I get a lot of compliments. And I'm not saying that to be arrogant. I'm saying that just because, you know, I've designed this myself. So I do want this to be liked because it says, like, tells a story. Yeah. But no one cares about what the story is behind it. They just like, like the way it looks. But you were the one that asked me, what does it mean? What did you tell me? They're memories. Broken, really hard, awful, scarred memories. All the way down my arm that lead to my chest. But if you look at you can look at it that way. Mm-hmm. Or you can look at it Jesus way. And I have a cross here where through all of the bad things, he would redeem them all. And these blackbirds or black um, sparrows would turn to doves. Wow. And that cross you mentioned, it's on the inside of your wrist. And so I know you guys can't see her tattoo, but she has this cross on her wrist and then going up her arm are all these birds. Why did you choose birds to represent the hard things? Oh, no one's ever asked me that. So, um, because when Jesus was getting baptized, when the three the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were together for the first time in history. What completed it was the Holy Spirit coming in as a dove. Yeah. And I don't know why that caught me, but it did. And like, so I first started off with just three birds. But then as I like started thinking, going through more stuff, I had already gotten the birds at that point in my life. I was doing ministry. I was like in college. I thought my story um, was done, honestly. Not ending, but just done. Like, no more pain, no more anything. Like, I'm on missions. I'm having the time of my life. And then you start experiencing more and more pain. And then you have to add more and more birds. Well, it's funny. I was drawn to your bird tattoo because for me, birds have always been a significant way that God has spoken to me about how he cares for us, how he takes care of us. You know, when we look to the scriptures where it talks about how he takes care of the birds yeah. and the sparrows, they don't store up food, you know, they depend on the father to feed them. And just how are we so much more valuable to God than even the birds of the air and the lilies in the fields. And so when I saw these birds flying up your arm, it just reminded me of like, God, she obviously must have a connection between the birds, knowing that the Lord is taking care of her. Yeah. yeah. Before you came up to me, I had just came back from doing my EMDR therapy, and I was very overwhelmed. I actually would go to the outlet to decompose and de-stress and like process everything because it's so overwhelming and shocking to your system. When I walked in... Um, I was questioning my entire existence and praying right in front of the door that God would bless me. And that's it. Because at that point, like my life, I had just learned that my dad and my entire family knew about an abuse that happened. And yet I'm the only person that didn't know that they've known. So when you were in Goodwill that day... That's what I was going through. Because I had learned that 
literally the night, the day before. Those are my days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm like these aren't moments. These right. are my days. Right. So I was I just really wanted to be blessed. I w- I wanted something nice and shiny. I was talking about material. I wanted God to give me another Louis Vuitton basically. <laughs> I was like that'd be nice. So I wasn't praying for some miracle. But I was really, really, really wishing for one. Because at that point, I lost my purpose. Like I, I, actually, I lost that a long time ago. I just finally realized that I had never really had it. God showed me what he wanted to do with me a long time ago. And when, at, when you first see it, it's the most beautiful thing. What did he show you that he wanted to do a long time ago? To speak, but for him, and to him, and for him. And that's why when I met you, within the first five minutes of talking to you that day at the Goodwill, I was like, she has to be on this podcast because she has walked through fire, and she has come out um, refined, and she's still in process. And that's the beautiful mess of... I think where you are and that's why you're on the show because I, the, you have a very powerful testimony that people need to hear. And so when you just said, I knew that God wants me to speak, that is your purpose because God is using everything that you've been through and he's going to use it more so beyond what you can even ask or see or imagine. So you're, what I really want, you know, what I want to talk about today is your story. I want to hear about where you have been, where you come from, because this is um, this is a big story. So tell me where you were born and okay. let's kind of back up a little bit about your upbringing um, to kind of let our listeners know they have a starting point of where you come from. I was born in Lebanon. I sigh because it's the only country in the world that's completely run by terrorists and is literally a war zone between Syria and Iran that they've taken over as a battle. And it's been the devil's place ever since. Like, it, that's how it was known. The New York Times, like, came out with the fact that it was where the devil lives. If you want to talk about impossible... This is what's impossible. A girl who is born out of literally terrorism because her family are the terrorists who starts it, all Islamic, did not hear the name of Jesus. I didn't even know Jesus existed. What was it like being raised in the Muslim faith? Honestly, it never made sense to me. How did you end up going coming to the U.S.? Like, what what led to you coming to the U.S., basically? In short, my parents had to get a divorce. My biological parents. My mom was gonna, my mom was given full custody. Therefore, she owned us. And my dad has none. And then, have a schizophrenic mother who then kidnaps you when you were nine in the middle of the night, who overfed you, like, it never was there. Like, I don't even remember what my mom looked like 
until I was like 10. What brought us here? I don't know. My mom did. That's why I can't answer that. Mm-hmm. Because I did not choose to come. So how long did you stay with your mom? And you have two sisters. How long were you with her in the U.S. before you were not with your mother, your biological mother? A year. We only made it a year. It was the hardest year. What was that year like with your mom and your sisters when you came to the U.S.? You guys moved to D.C., correct? Arlington. Okay. Near the Pentagon Mall. My mom was homeless around there for a few years after everything that happened. So I always, when I go there, I kind of look for her. But I know she's not there. Is it, it's probably hard. To, is it hard to talk about when, you're first, when you first came that first year? Yeah, that first year, like, is when I met God. Not Jesus, to preface. But who, he, like, the Father. I met the Father. Most people just know about Jesus, they meet Jesus, and they continue with Jesus. Yes, because they are one. But I have a relationship with the Father because he had to be. Because I was literally born, which if God chooses how we were born and orchestrates our life before we are even born in Psalms, then God orchestrated me to be born out of this awful place that has left so many scars and knowingly that it would i was so deeply compared and tortured with my sister that we have now a competition we can't even move on from something that happened when we were well 10 11 so that year like it destroyed our life our entire life was taken And I was the one that God used because I was the one that was blamed for my entire life. I just happened in that year, my mom was gone. And by gone, I mean like she likes to be homeless. And that's her, that's her, um, psychosis. So when you guys came to the U.S., it was your older brother and your two younger sisters, and your mother basically wanted to be homeless. So were you guys living on the street or in homeless shelters? Wherever you can think. I don't know how to answer that. We were in... All I remember is walking a lot and riding a bus a lot. Yeah. But those memories I've erased. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Like some of some of the memories that happened then, my body, my mind has erased it. So you, your mother lost, obviously, your mother lost custody of you and your siblings. Mm-hmm. And what happened after she lost custody? What happened to you and your siblings? Well, she lost custody before, we were taken before she lost custody. After, my mom was very promiscuous. So there were men everywhere, day and night. And then she would just go with them. Like, and we, she would be gone for weeks on end. Like we didn't have food. Because of all this, my brother ended up joining a gang. He was 13, I was 12, to supply us food. But he's always treated like, a, like dirt. At that time, I had gotten really sick with some virus, and we were living in a really 
obviously trashy. There were ants everywhere, including coming out of the food. So one of us was bound to be sick. And of course it was me. But my mom refused to get me help because she doesn't want to go to the hospital because if she does, they would question her and they would get taken away. So I was at that point like delusional. It's been like two weeks and I ran 105 fever. And my neighbor, because I had a friend that like lived in the same complex, they were just like, right, like whatever. I've only met her a couple times, but then when she heard that I was that sick, she came and kidnapped me and took me to the hospital and showed up and said, this girl is really sick. Mm. And they, I had to be hospitalized and admitted and then everything else. But the question that remained, where is her mother? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that basically started everything. All the questioning about her motherness. <laughs> I don't even know what to call it. Her responsibility. Like, she has none. My mom's done what she wanted her entire life. She has never had to lift a finger. So that's what catapulted you into the system. Yeah. So how long were you in the foster care system? Can I tell you about my first day? I remember it. They called me from home ec and I was learning how to sew and I was so excited about it. And I was getting homework help and staying after school and making some friends. I was, at that point, I was being abused sexually, mentally, emotionally, any kind. Remember, there are plenty of men. So I was 12 and I got called down and then I went to the principal's office and they just showed me a random woman that dressed nicely. And she said, I'm, I'm going with her. I was never looked after or raised. I said, okay, there's no stranger danger. Right. <laughs> Everyone's a danger. Right. So I just went with her and got in their car. <laughs> Honestly, it's like, it sounds like a kidnapping. And the first thing I asked, I didn't ask why, I didn't ask what was happening. I didn't open my mouth till I was in the car and we were driving away. And I asked, what about my sisters? They just said that they're getting them. And then they already got Kareem. I'm like, okay. I asked if I can make a phone call. And they were like, yeah, yeah, of course. And I called my mom, who's on the phone screaming and bawling and yelling more than I've never seen a person even do that or could because her heart was just ripped out of her chest mm -hmm. and she was telling me to come back and I told her I would that I am but I didn't understand what I was even saying I didn't understand what was happening mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. I can't imagine <laughs> so after that they quickly hung up the phone and then took me into a room where my brother was. And he's, he's at first being nice. Monsters can be nice. <laughs> he was being nice, like trying to be comforting. And then we kept talking. And realized that the reason why was because of a guidance counselor at school who 
made me come to her the first week. And after telling her about all the abuse my brother was doing, and she told me if he were to touch me again, to call the police. I was 12. Mm. My brother's 13. I don't even know. Do you know? I didn't know 911. Mm. I'm like, how, what is it even the police? <laughs> there are no police in Lebanon. Military. Mm. It's a military state. Hmm. That's why I was confused. But my teacher found that I was coming home, coming to school abused, like with a lot of scars, a lot of, honestly, bruises just because my skin is so fair. It shows. And she told the guidance counselor who then told social services. And then Tal and Sarah come. And they're so scared and confused and so raggedy looking. We look bad. And to the point where it hurts so much looking back that I don't. Right. But I remember the pictures. So how long were you in the foster care system before you were adopted? Three years. And how many different homes did you live in? I don't know. Imagine, I'm old in the foster care system. Again, 13, we had an emergency home, that family. And then my sisters actually, thankfully, they they stayed with the same home in Arlington and had each other and were able to develop that. We all three were sent there, but I was too much. Therefore, I became part of the system. And if you're part of a system like that, I would go to, I would go to like weekends, have a weekend away with a, like show up at a couple, they'll take you around even just a weekend with a couple who had a child and their family. And wanting so bad to be a part of their family. But it's a Saturday and you're leaving tomorrow, so Mm. what does that matter? And that's the thing that always happened. That's the experience. What does it matter? Why do you matter? Mm. And that's the question I've been asked my entire life. Why do you matter? Why, Why what you say should matter? Should I be listening to you? Probably not. Because it's not going to be what you want to hear. When do you feel like the tide started to change for you where you started realizing I do matter, my voice is valuable, and I should be heard? When When did that, when did, I mean, even when, when did that start scratching the surface of like, Was there a moment or a pivotal time where you felt like, wait, maybe I don't have to live in this place in my mind thinking I don't really matter? Yeah. The day we met. That's, that's why that day was so special. Because you told me you were a podcast person. All I ever wanted was to tell my story, but to tell the truth in my way. My story's been written and people have written about me and all, it's all their words and they're not true. So for the first time, I want instead of hiding the truth or hiding who I am, who led to me being abused, by the way, like finally just embracing it. But I can only embrace it 
if I knew that God wanted to use it in great ways. Because otherwise, it would hurt too much for nothing. Going through life now, I've already lived a lifetime. Tell me about when you were adopted. I, I was adopted when I was 15 officially. Almost 16 actually officially. But I've been with my parents for a year before we can even like do the adoption process and stuff. And I, the only reason why I wanted to get adopted is to be back with Tal and Sarah. So at this point, I've been separated from them for two years. May, and I had no idea what they were doing with like nothing, no communication. But I wanted to be back with Tala and Sarah because they're my life. So I agreed to get adopted. And at this point, I was in a group home in somewhere in Virginia. And I've been there for about a year. I've enjoyed like plays, like started to get settled in. So what was it like when you found out that you were going to be adopted and be reunited with your two sisters? Do you know how hard that day to be said? These are now your new parents. You guys are going to be reunited. Everything's. This is your dream. Dreams hurt. They hurt. Why do you say that when it's everything that you did want? Because it doesn't change who you are. You're still that person who now just went through and I'm still Aya. Some things like dreams and everything are great to have because I've had them and they kept me alive. People ask me, how did I get through everything? Dreaming. Dreaming about God. That there's going to, honestly, I, all I did was dream that God was something that will magically come into my life and make everything good. Never questioned the existence of him, which is very funny. Hmm. But I knew him the minute I felt him. Tell me about that moment when you met God. I was in my group home. I just arrived. It was a Sunday. Mind you, we've been, I've been a Muslim this entire time. We don't eat pork. We don't do anything. And they asked me if I wanted to go to church with them. And I was like, church? They were like, yeah. I'm like, okay, I don't have anything else to do on a Sunday morning. Like, <laughs> I didn't, they were all going. I didn't want to be by myself. So I went and I don't know what the pastor was saying or anything, but I remember sitting on the very far right. And then like while I was sitting there twirling with my thumbs, a huge wind honestly went and I felt it like kick out my arm. It was like as if something just like rushed in there. Hmm. And I looked to see if like, like what is that? Hmm. And I looked at the vent and it was completely closed. So I'm like, I immediately was like, okay. I got up, went to the pastor, and got baptized. Wow. Like, accepted Jesus. Not baptized. Accepted Jesus. Right then, everyone was around me crying and wailing and be like, oh, my God, she, she accepted Jesus. I'm like, and I would, I, after that, I would, I would say I'm Christian. I would say I'm Catholic because I didn't really know what it was. Yeah. And I heard about the Catholic Church. Yeah. I didn't even care about denominations. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, since I didn't even know him. <laughs> so, I don't know. Like, I came back and we were going to celebrate by ordering pizza. Uh-huh. And they were like, Aya, you get to choose. And I'm like, okay, I want pepperoni. Uh-huh. I want pepperoni pizza because I've always only eaten cheese. Right. And then they stop and look at me and seriously dead in the face say, 
Aya, did you just do that? Did you become a Christian just so you can eat pepperoni? Because I would complain about it all the time. Exactly. And I would be so sad about it. So when they said that, I was like, no. But kind of. (laughs) Yes. a, A huge part of it was, yes, the religion was so constraining that I wanted out. So yeah, but I didn't want to sit there and be afraid of pork. Yeah. Do you feel like that was kind of the moment where you feel like your journey with God began? Or was that just the beginning of a taste of who God might be? I didn't meet God. He met me. Like he was with me before I was born. The way he's orchestrated who I am even. And for the purpose that I pray one day happens... It's a beautiful story. So beautiful that I can't even accept it because who, who deserves that kind of love? I, I met him when I needed him. And he showed himself to me and told me, which is a cool story, that his name is Jesus. That was a freak out session though. <laughs> yeah. What was that about? Well, we were just adopted, started going to church. The name Jesus like rang. And I'm like, but are you him? So whenever I laid and I was questioning, I never questioned who God was. Or is. I questioned if Jesus is his name. Mm-hmm. And I prayed, like we were in the middle of a cabin. My parents own a cabin in Deep Creek. And it's like in the middle of the night and I'm having these existential like... I just had a huge realization because that that morning when I heard about Jesus dying for my sins and like being there and having goodness be from this. I'm like, what is this? Jesus is obviously the only one because what else, who else in history has ever came down and was like, I love you. I'm dying for you and I'm God. See, I've seen so many evilness in this world. Honestly, the, like the way people can be is so cruel but then he gives you that light within you so you can tolerate it it's like a little shield bubble Hmm. and that's what he's he's done for you or been for you so when they say in what so when he says in the scriptures like put on your shield it makes sense Mm. the bible makes sense to me because i've lived it and i've needed it when because i didn't have the other option that people the safety nets that people have When God literally is your only option given by him, it's amazing because you get surprised. Yeah. I've seen him. I've felt him. I've talked to him. And you can believe me or not, but at the same time, because people would ask me, who are you to even say that about yourself? I'm like, well, you tell me. Were you raised by a terrorist family? Did you go through hell and literally back and are still going through it? Did you, were you homeless? Did you have nothing to eat? Were you abused by your family? Literally. Wow. So I'm like, do you need him? Do you need him to talk to you? It better be worth it then. Mm. It better be worth what you're saying. Because talking to God is an honor. Mm. And for him to have your ear, he gives it freely. Yeah. When you became a Christian, um, you know, you were forced to kind of face head on all the things that you'd been through, the abuse, the neglect, everything that you had been through. Um, and you, you said that you also had some things that 
came out of that abuse that led to some issues for you, like drug abuse and an eating disorder, how has having God helped you in this journey of recovery? What has that been like for you? And do you ever imagine what it would be like if you did not have God with you to go through this recovery? Yes. And no, I would never think about me, God not being there. Because that hurts. When I do think like that, it hurts even deeper than people imagine. Because when you've been abandoned by every single member of your family, and then feel for a second that God abandoned you, that hurts much deeper than you think. It resonates much deeper. I wish my story wasn't true. That I was making all this shit up. Because read back about what, who I am. That's insane. Mm-hmm. It's impossible. Me being a Christian was impossible. Is, But it's not if that's what God wanted it. Mm-hmm. He just wanted me to become a Christian that way. I'm his child. So who am I? I'm his child. He created me, literally. And formed me through him with everything, mm-hmm. every step of the way. And I could say that because I lived through it and it was that painful. Right. Honestly, I can't even read my own paperwork, which again, it's all been written, without crying even within the first page. Right. But then having it end with so much, me finding out that, even, that I could even, that God liked me, mm. must just be a blessing and maybe even be a miracle for the world, like, to, for me, honestly, just to shine. Mm-hmm. You know what I said, God, like, you just want to shine for you? I feel like I'm just like a diamond mm-hmm. in the rough that's been through hell and back and the fires are really, really hot. Right, right. And now, like, I'm finally, and I died. I died in the flames. Like, that's the thing that people don't understand how I got here. Mm. I got here because I had to. Because believing otherwise led me to want to, I was sick. I was in the hospital. I was impatient. I was dying right. to, because of myself, because of everything. Because of the eating disorder. The eat, and it's not just, people say eating disorder and like they don't really understand. Mine is a different eating disorder. Because eating disorder is an eating disorder. Mine is built from trauma, created from trauma. It is who I am. Different, yeah. So I, had, I have to go through all of that mess and somehow be okay with it to, enough to remember and process it. So from everything that you have been through, all the places you have walked, where you are now, um, what do you feel like God wants to do with your story? And how do you feel that he is going to use you in this world with regard to other people? When I, went, when I first went to college, I was the first adopted child in my like big the Barker agency to go to college I had never even it says it in my like the article I didn't even think about college that was never an option like no woman can think about even going there but especially through ev- through everything like remember I just learned English and I was illiterate till I was in seventh grade so for me to go to college was nothing so after being there 
and I joined a sorority and everything. And I thought, okay, God wants to use me to be a therapist because that's what I see and that's what all I know. So I'm gonna become like for, and then I switched it to forensic psychology because I was so bound to knowing what the heck everyone was thinking in my family that I was gonna make sure I understood them. So I did. And that's what was my degree. And I was proud of it. Except my sophomore year while I was working on it, I went to this sorority event, not Christian, nothing. And this person, he asked, if you can do anything with your, with your life, absolutely anything. If there are no, money's not a condition, time, nothing. Who do you want to be? Any people are raising their hand, I want to be a pop star. I want to be a doctor. I don't even know what the other person wanted to be other than a prince. So, and instantly, like, my mind just went to this image of me. I didn't know it was me. It was just a woman standing there, skinny. I didn't recognize her. It didn't look like me with a tattoo. Hmm. Speaking out wow. to this huge field of people. But not about me, but about God and what he's done. Because what else do I have to speak to like, what, or speak on? Mm. So I don't care if people think I'm conceited or just full of it. I'd rather be full of it than full of nothing. Yeah. And if that means saving my life for it, even if it means I have to fake it, even if I have to fake it right now, I have to believe that it'll come true because that's the only reality I have now looking yes. forward. And I, that's the only one I need. And I can't move forward without it. Mm -hmm. Well, the fact that God gave you that vision and that image, which is, is a vision, I believe. He gave you that vision to show you where he plans to put you. I've kept that a secret for so long mm -hmm. because I was insane. I was like, okay, that was just weird. But oh, that image stuck in my head over yeah. and over again. It became an obsession. Yeah. And because I was like, why would you do this to me? Why would you put this type of desire to be this kind of person and build me that way and not have a way for me to even be that person? What about for those people that are listening that are going through really hard times and are struggling and they need to hear some sort of encouragement? This is the thing that runs in my head or the the thought that runs in my head. God is good. Why? Because he said he is. Therefore, nothing bad could happen from God. And if he really does make all things work together for our good, there has to be something we're not getting. There has to be something we need to just endure and to see it through. That's what all I'm doing, seeing it through. Right. So I'm just saying, don't give up. The story isn't done. My friends, whatever you're going through, as Aya said, don't give up. The story isn't done. In this new year, may we all remember, God is not done with us. He has good plans for us. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's a promise. Let it sink in. Our stories are not finished. Thanks for listening to this episode of Not By Sight.